0: Out for stuff. That's a big one. Good morning. good morning. It is good to be here. I mentioned in the Sunday school hour, Barb is not able to be with me today. Her mom lives with us, and that uh, complicates our life a little bit. We can't leave her except for short well, not even short periods. Now we have to have somebody with her all the time. We have on occasion uh, had somebody come. Last weekend, Barb's sister came and watched her for the weekend, so we could get away, and that was a nice break for Barb and for me as well. I spoke in Niagara Falls, Calvary Baptist Church, Niagara Falls last week, and uh, we took a couple of days to see some of the sites. You know, when you live close to the sites that people come from all over the world to see, you tend to ignore them yourself. And so uh, we hadn't been there for years. Barb, I, I'm more sentimental than my wife is. Uh, Barb, I've seen the falls once. that's enough. I, you know i like—I never get over how the majesty of that uh, and just the power that's there. Turn your Bibles to the book of John. The literature on the back table while you're doing that is free. We live by faith. We trust God to take care of our needs. Uh, there are something like 20 different brochures now, and there's 10 or 11 books on world religions and cults, and you're welcome to those. Uh, we do ask if you take one that you read it. If you disagree with it, that's fine. Uh, it'd Be like the Bereans. Search the scriptures to see whether the thing's said are so or not. Uh, but I think they'll be a blessing to you. One of the better-known statements of Jesus is found in verse 32 of John 8. Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They usually take that, politicians use that a lot, but it's usually taken out of context because they leave off verse 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word... Then you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. God, help us to understand the passage of Scripture that's before us today and apply it to our hearts and to our lives. Use me now as a clay vessel to proclaim your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was in college, my least favorite class was philosophy. Philosophy is one of those things that you study stuff that seems to me to be a waste of time most of the time. I always felt that a philosopher was a person who did not understand life. It made me feel like it was my fault. (laughs) The question before, what is truth, uh, is an age-old question. Uh, Truth shall make you free. What, What is truth? Pilate asked Jesus that face-to-face. Here was truth personified in front of him, and Pilate said, what is truth? What is truth? Uh, We're living in a strange day where people question whether there even is such a thing as truth. Uh, It's called relativism. The basic belief is there are no absolutes, which in itself is an absolute statement. A contradiction. Rene Descartes, decided, uh, was a philosopher, he decided that he would start with a blank blank sheet, put everything else out of his mind, and try to prove his own existence. And he came up with the statement, I think, therefore I am. And that's considered very profound. Well, I think most of us are kind of self-aware of ourselves without somebody telling us we have to. Now, in the passage in Scripture before us, we're we're going to think this morning about the battle for truth. We're going to think, first of all, uh, Jesus uh, confirms the reality of truth. Uh, Jesus states clearly there is such a thing as truth. Now, truth is one of those words that is hard to define. Uh, Basically, truth is reality, that which is real. Truth, as I said, is personified in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. The word of God is truth. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So there is such a thing as truth. Secondly, Jesus confirmed that it is knowable. The Emergent Church is a movement that has spread amongst young people in particular, particularly in the Calvinist camps, those Reform, Christian Reform, some of those groups, that basically denies the idea of knowing truth, that you have to discover and experience it, but you really can't know anything. But the Bible tells us we can know. I had two Jehovah Witnesses come to my house one day, two middle-aged men, I, you know who they are. They got their literature in their hand. They come up to the door and, and uh, they said, "We have some good news for you about the kingdom of uh, kingdom of God." I said, "Well, that's wonderful. Let me ask you a question. Do you know for sure that when you die, you're going to the kingdom of God?" And he said, "Well, um, uh, nobody can know that." I said, "Really? I know. I'm going to heaven when I die." Because the Word of God says so. Turn to your Bible. Do you have one of your Bibles? And the guy says, yeah, I do. Turn to your Bible. Even your I didn't say it, but it's a terrible translation. 1 John chapter 5, verses 10 to 13. Would you read that out loud for me? And so he read it out loud, and even in their twisted perversion verse, perverse version, it basically says, these things have I written that you might know that you have everlasting life. That you might know. He that hath a son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. And I said, I told you I know because I've received Christ as my Savior. I have the Son. I have God's Word that confirms I have everlasting life. You told me you don't know, and that's because you don't have the Son. He said, "Uh, we'll get back to you. That was the end of the conversation. see, you and I are people of the truth. Uh, We have received the truth, which leads us to, there's a contrast between the reactions to the truth. Now, the first reaction is those who are believing. If we read up to verse 30, he, he spoke these words. As he spoke these words, many believed on him. Now this was not quite saving faith yet. This was they were interested, they believed what he was saying. He'd been talking about who he was. He uh, this is the same chapter where the woman was taken in adultery, he's been talking with the Pharisees, they've been challenging who he is. He's talked about his father in heaven. He's claimed to be the son of God. They're believing. They're responding to it. That is the right response to truth. When you witness to some people, they will listen. Some people will start believing. that You've got to get them over that believing, yes, there's a God, to believing Jesus Christ died for me, and I need to receive him as my Savior. The devils believe, James tells us. So it's not enough to just know that there's a God. That's, that's nice, and that is a good reaction to the truth, but you've got to go beyond that. And what is that? You continue in my word, then... You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So there is a continuance. You have to go beyond the stage of just knowing about God to knowing God. You have to come to that place where you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. I've been here a number of times. You've heard my testimony. When I was 13, I went through a time of doubt. On a Sunday night, just shortly after my 13th birthday, uh, the invitation was given. I don't remember the message, but I've been struggling for some time with this invitation was given, have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. And it was as though the Holy Spirit was saying to me, Tom, it's now or never. And I went forward, and Mr. Branda took me downstairs, a little Sunday school room, one of those 10 by 10 rooms, and a little Sunday school desk for kids. And <coughs> he opened his Bible, walked me down the Romans Road. And then he said, Tom, would you like to receive Christ as your Savior? I said, well, Mr. Branda, I think I've already done that. He said, that's not good enough, Tom. You need to know that you've done that. Tell you what, why don't you right now pray and receive Christ as Savior? If you've done it before, God won't be mad at you. Isn't that funny? I thought that. But if you'll do it right now, from then on you'll know. To this day, I still don't know. Was I saved before? I don't know. But I do know I was saved after my 13th birthday. Because that night I received Christ as my Savior. So there's a reaction to the truth that's good. But then there's a reaction that's bad. And that reaction is described in the following verses. And they, verse 33, answered him, We are Abraham's seed, and we never imbibed any man. How sayest thou thou shalt be made free? Now, I think this was, there are two groups of people there. There's one group of people that are believing, and then there's the Pharisees, the religious leaders. They're simply called the Jews. And they're listening in on the conversation, and they butt in on the conversation. And they said, and they, wait a minute, we're Abraham's seed. We've never been enslaved to any man. Boy, do they need a history lesson. They were in bondage to Rome at the time they said this. Okay, Before that, it was the Greeks. Before that, it was the Medes and Persians. Before that, it was the Babylonians. The start of their history, they were slaves in Egypt. God delivered them. And yet here they are. We have never been slaves. See, they're resisting the truth. And when you witness to people, there are people who will resist the truth. They'll want to argue with you. So Jesus explains. He's thinking beyond just political freedom. He's talking about freedom from sin. The basic problem of mankind All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Apostle John, there's a scene in Revelation where John is translated before the throne and he sees and describes all that beautiful setting. And then he sees a strong angel come forth with a a parchment, a scroll, who proclaims in a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and open the books. Remember? And John said a search was made in heaven and on earth, beneath the earth, and no one was found worthy. And John says he stood there as he stood there. I think he he realized the enormity of sin and the impact that it had on the human race that not one man was worthy, and he wept much. Then one of the elders said, John, we've not. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. He hath prevailed. And John turned, and he said, when I turned, I saw, as it were, a lamb. It was the Lord Jesus Christ who came the first time as the Lamb of God, comes the second time as the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's truth. Well, the people wept. We, we, we are not there. We, God, God's our Father. Well, let's talk about sin. Let's talk about that, Jesus said. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. If the son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's seed. You are descendants of Abraham. I know that. But you seek to kill me, because my word hath no place in you. So they're rejecting the truth. I speak that which I have seen from my father, and you do that which you have seen of your father. And they answered him and said to him, Abraham's our father. Jesus said, wait a minute now. If If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. What did Abraham do? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. These people are not believing. They're rejecting the truth. They're resisting the truth. What are they doing? Now you seek to kill me. A man who had told you the truth. I told you the truth. Now you're angry at me and want to kill me. You do the deeds of your father. And they said unto him, verse 41, We be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Now, this is a personal attack. When people start to slander you, they've lost the argument. When they start name-calling, they've lost Whenever you're in a debate or a discussion or witnessing to somebody, if they start calling you names, you know you've won the debate. Now, Jesus is going to press that. He doesn't even, answer. he doesn't even bother answering that question. But what's he, what were they talking about? See, Nazareth was a small town. And 33 years later, people still remember the circumstances, what they saw about his birth. He was born of a woman who was not married at the time she conceived. So they're accusing him of being born of fornication, sexual immorality. So they're basically attacking his mother. That's what's happening Now, they didn't know the story. They, they should have known. They should have heard. There were shepherds that saw it. There were the wise men that saw it. There was Mary and Joseph that certainly told their friends and neighbors. But a lie can survive a long time. People start a rumor about you. The best defense is truth. Just move on. But sometimes lies can hang on for a long time. 33 years later, they're still throwing this at him. Can you imagine? They knew. They, how did they know? The this is Jerusalem, they, he's from Nazareth, Galilee, way up to the north. How'd they know that? They had been studying, trying to find something against him for some time. They had been working on him. Then Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why you do not understand my speech, even because you cannot hear my word? See, their, their ears are stuck. The favorite expression of Jesus is recorded more than any other other statement he made is, let him that hath ears, let him hear. Let him hear. Hear. So you have ears, but you can sit in this auditorium and not listen to me. You can be thinking about what you're going to do this week, or what you did last week, or what you're going to have for lunch, or any number of things. You can, Your mind can easily be distracted. Uh, one of those bad feelings in my life is my wife says, are you listening to me? Well, actually, Barb, no. <laughs> you didn't quite get my attention. See, men men have one track minds. If we're watching television, you've got to get our attention before we're going to hear you. Now, ladies, you're multitask. You can do all kinds of things, but men, one, you know, you gotta, you gotta make sure we're listening. And please don't put us in that spot by, what (laughs) did I just say? I remember more than once being caught in school where a teacher would say, "Uh, Tom, would you answer the question? What was the question? (laughs) I wasn't listening. Well, here it is, year of your father the devil. Boy, that's blunt talk, isn't it? Isn't Isn't this the loving Jesus? the soft, effeminate Jesus, the kind and gentle Savior. This is a real man, Jesus, who calls it like it is. You're of your father the devil. That set him back. In the lust of your father you do. He was a murderer from the beginning. They're thinking about killing him. That's murder. And, abode not in the truth, because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. What was the first lie? in the Bible well the first lie was really three parts I mean Satan's goal strategy in the gardens the same thing that he does to this day the first thing he did to Eve is says half God said he questioned God's word half God, he wanted her to doubt it then secondly he flat out denied it "Ye shall not surely die He flat out, he got her. Did God really say that you can eat of all the trees that God, except that? Did God really say that? Is that what God said? That's why there's such an attack on the scriptures today. You have behind me a painting that says inspiration and preservation. The two go together. If God didn't preserve his word, we don't have his word. We have to have a preserved word of God. God not only inspired and gave us the word, he has... Preserved his word so that we can say with authority, thus saith the Lord. This is the word of God. This is truth. But Satan first got her to doubt. Then he denied, ye shall not surely die, because God knows the day you eat thereof, you'll be like gods, knowing good and evil. God's holding out on you. God's a killjoy. Why, if you just ate of this fruit, why, you would know good and evil just like God. You'd you become like God himself. you become your own God. And then he got her to disobey God. Got her to give to Adam, and Adam is the one who actually disobeyed by partaking of the fruit. Satan uses the same strategy today. Gets you, first of all, to doubt God's word. Then he denies God's word. And they get you to disobey God's word. That's his strategy. He's the liar. He's the beginning, father of lies. Because I tell you the truth, you believe not. Which of you convinceth me of sin? So, here's the open question. He says, all right, here I am. Show me where I'm wrong. Convinced of sin. Is there anything? Jesus was a righteous man, the only righteous man that ever lived. It's it's an amazing thing. Uh, His judge had to say, Pilate had to go before the people and say, I find no fault in him. Judas, the betrayer, said, I have betrayed innocent blood. The man who executed him on the cross... The Roman centurion said, truly, this man was a righteous man, the executioner. He was innocent. That day, nobody could bring a charge against him because he'd never done anything wrong. It is he that, it, he that is of God heareth God's words. Therefore, you hear them not because you're not of God. So the negative reaction, first of all, is to resist the truth. The second thing is to reject the truth. That happens in verse 48. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan, and hast a devil? Now again, they're into the name calling. Samaritans, we know the story of the good Samaritans, so we have positive thinking you know, thoughts about that. Um, there are as uh, ministry good samaritan ministries there's hospitals named good samaritan hospitals and and travel clubs of the good samaritan club and all this kind of stuff so we we have positive thoughts about that word but in the new testament world a samaritan was bad word the jews have no dealing with the samaritans the samaritan woman told jesus that how is the you, a man, talking to me, a woman, who are Samaria, the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. The Jews looked down on the Samaritans. They were descendants from the northern tribe, Israel, the northern tribes that formed Israel. They were taken into captivity by the Assyrians, and the Assyrians deported half of the Jews and brought in settlers from Assyria, and the result was they were half-breeds. They were mixed breeds, half-Jew, half-Gentile. And as a result... The Jews look down on them. John 4 is in the Bible to remind us that that's important. The Good Samaritan stories in the Bible to remind us that God does not distinguish between people. God so loved the world. When I was a boy, I learned that song, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. That's the way God sees the world. But here they say, you're, you're a Samaritan. So what they're saying is, now were you born of fornication, you're not even sure who your father is. His father, he's been talking right along, is God. He said that very clearly. And you have a devil. You've got a demon. You're demon-possessed. That's what's wrong with you. What? Jesus said, I have not a devil but I honor my father, and you do dishonor me. So sometimes when you're in a discussion and somebody calls you a name, you just let it go. Jesus didn't respond to the fornication thing. But here, when they say he has a devil, he responds to that. He did say, no, that's not true. I don't have a devil. But I honor my father, and you dishonor me. I seek not my own glory, there is one that seeketh and judgeth verily, verily or truthfully, truthfully, I say unto you, if a man keep my sayings, he shall never see death. so that's a statement that's kind of out there for not only them that he's talking to, but those believing he's he's they're still there, they're still listening to this conversation, and he's making it clear that. What he's talked about, freedom, was freedom from sin and freedom from the penalty of sin, which is death. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So he's reminding him of that, and the Jews said unto him, Now we know that thou hast a devil, Abraham is dead, the prophets now say, of a man, Keep my saying, he shall never taste death. Art thou greater than our father Abraham who is dead and the prophets that are dead? Who makest thou thyself? Who do you think you are claiming this? Are you greater than Abraham? Yeah. He is. He's the son of God. What about the prophets? Well, Jesus answered, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. If... My, it is my Father that art with me, of whom you say that he is your God. You have not known him, but I know him. And I should say, I know him not. Should I say, I know him not? I should be a liar like unto you, but I know him and keep his saying. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he sought and was glad. Abraham, by faith, believed God was going to send a son to die for us. How do he see the day? Well, it happened on Mount Moriah one day when he offered his own son. And when Isaac said, Father, here's wood and here's, here's fire, but where's the sacrifice? He said, God will provide himself a sacrifice. And he did in the person of his own son. Then the Jews said, Thou art not 50 years old, and thou didst see Abraham? And Jesus said to him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, seven times in John, Jesus says that statement, I am. It goes back to the time of Moses, when Moses is before the burning bush. God has called him to deliver the people. And Moses said, when I tell the people that you've sent me, who should I say sent me? What is your name? And God's response is, I am. So when Jesus said, I am, he is claiming to be God. That's how they understood it. That's how come, why they're so angry at him. He's claiming to be God. But it's only a problem if he wasn't God. And he is God. He is the son of God. He is God manifest in the flesh. Before Abraham was, he was. You see, the God we serve is not the God who was or not the God who is going to be. He's the God who is I am, the ever-present one. That's the God we serve. Then they took up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple going through the midst of them and passed, so passed by. This is not yet his hour. His hour is going to come. He's going to go on the cross. As you go through John, you'll see my hour. He makes a statement, hour is not yet come. So here's the three steps. Resist the truth, reject the truth, remove the truth. Our culture has exchanged the truth of God for lies. Whenever you turn your back on truth, if this is truth, if you reject it, the only thing you have left is lies. That's all you have. For instance, the Founding Fathers wrote in the Declaration of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident. So they're talking about truths, Self-evident means these are things everybody knows. We don't have to explain it, don't have to prove it. Everybody just knows and understands. What are those self evidence truths?
1: <clears throat>
0: that all men are equal, have been created by, equal by God, and have been endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights. Among these rights are life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. Everybody, 1776, understood that. That was known. That was something that everybody understood. There is a creator. The creator has given us rights. He not only gave us life, he gave us liberty. Jefferson later would write, God who gave us life gave us liberty. And can the liberties of a nation be thought secure when we remove this only firm basis that these rights are the gift of God and they're not to be trifled with except in his wrath. Indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just and his justice will not sleep forever. Now, if you remove creation from, or creator from the Declaration of Independence, what do you have left? If you take creation and what we've done as a culture basically is adopted evolution, a lie, the big lie, what drives evolution? The right to life? No, there's no right to life. Liberty? No, that doesn't show up in nature. Pursuit of happiness? No, it's survival. So what happens to the Declaration of Independence? You can shred it. Because none of it makes sense. The whole basis of the Declaration of Independence is there is a creator, and this creator has given us rights. Furthermore, if you read the whole document, you'll discover it's a statement, not of independence, but dependence, because they present their case to Almighty God, understanding that unless God helps them, they're in trouble, so they commit the whole thing to the supreme judge of the universe for the rectitude of our intentions, or the rightness of our cause. And God did help them, but America is forgetting that. We're teaching young people that their ancestors were monkeys. Ben Carson, the uh, uh, director of Health and Human Services, was challenged by an evolutionist a while back in somewhat of a debate, and he said, you've told me that I believe I was created in the image and likeness of God, and you're telling me that your ancestors were monkeys. I want you to know you've convinced me. Well, see, it's a lie. We've adopted other lies. See, once, once the Bible is excluded, the source of truth, then anything goes. So we've, we're witnessing the breakdown of our society, breakdown of the home, the family, uh, marriage, the building blocks of our culture and society are falling apart. Why is that? Because we've embraced a lie. See, if you believe, you're set free. But if you reject the truth, you end up believing a lie, and lies end up in bondage, slavery. So we've got people that feel they're trapped in a homosexual lifestyle because they can't change. We have people believing that they can change their gender. The gender can be fluid. Today I can be a boy and tomorrow I can be a girl. There's materials out there for instructing public schools how to deal with these transgender issues that say the child has a right to decide what his gender is. We have parents now that are saying they're going to raise their kids asexual so that when they're old enough they can decide what they're going to be, boy or female, or boy or girl. One woman a while back, a psychiatrist, was on Fox News, and they said, well, what is the appropriate age for a child to decide? She said age four. Now, what other life-changing decisions would you entrust to a four-year-old? See, part of this is when you reject the truth, you end up in chaos. And you'll do stuff that's absolutely insane. That's what's happening in America. America. Our founding colleges, our early colleges, they're called the Ivy League. All of them were, were founded to train men for the ministry. Did you know that? For the first 150 years in our history, every college in America, I don't think there's any exceptions, was founded as a religious college. Institutions like Harvard had as their motto Verdas, truth. It's still their motto. And sometimes you'll see in some of their literature... You shall know the truth. The truth shall make you free. But we've got to get back to the truth. You and I have the truth. We're people of the truth. Now, what is our obligation? You believe. If you continue in my word, then you're my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Salvation involves a step. You receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Freedom, though, is a process. You're forgiven of your sin, the penalty of sins, the moment you receive Christ. Your sins, which are many, are all forgiven. You've got to pardon. But then, you've got to get over the practice of sin. And how do you do that? By continuing in his word. By continuing. You've got to put it into practice in your life. Not enough to just have it sitting on the table. That's nice. But you've got to open you've got to read it. And you've got to put it into practice. There are promises here to claim. There are people that are examples for good and bad, that you need to follow the good and not the evil. There's lessons to be learned. There's so much truth to know. And it's a process. I, God's not finished with me. He's not finished with you yet either, is He? He's still working on me. He wants to work on you as well. But it's your initiative. One reaction, good. The other reaction, bad. Resisting the truth, rejecting the truth, and then a desire to remove the truth. What's happening in America? Conservative voices are being hushed. Christian voices are being shut aside. Universities are firing people if they dare to teach creation rather than evolution. We are living in a time where people will protest a restaurant, for all th- of all things, Chick-fil-A, because they're anti-LGBTQ. They keep adding letters, by the way. Q is questioning. That's people that don't know what they are. But you're going to get all upset about that, and that's... You know, they, they open a store in England, and they're closing it because of so many protests. It's craziness. But see, it's removing the truth. We don't want to hear the truth. We don't want to hear the truth. The Jews in Jesus' day, you've told us the truth. We're going to kill you. And that's what they did. But I got good news. Truth wins. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truths that we have, that we are people of truth. The truth can be known, and the ultimate truth is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who's coming again to straighten the whole mess out. Until then, Lord, help us to be people of the truth, to practice the truth, to make it real in our own lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor.